Welcome back to Comic Book Workshop. It's a podcast about the craft of making comics. I'm your host, Jason Hammonds, and I am not an expert. I'm just trying to learn all I can from those who do it best. On this episode, I chat with cartoonist Sophie Goldstein. You'll know Sophie's work from books like Embarrassment of Witches, House of Women, and Flash Forward, out now from Fantagraphics. Sophie and I go deep on process and philosophy, the things she's learned from studying art, and the things she's currently learning uh, while leading an MFA program on making comics. Before we get into all that, though, let's catch up a bit. Um, it's, uh, it's, it's been a couple weeks since I was able to get an episode out and I'm very excited to be recording this right now. This is, uh, I'm currently on the last day of like a, you know, multifaceted, uh, uh, deadline, um, right now, sort of the beginning of summer in the, um, screenwriting and TV writing world is, is fellowship and competition season. Um, and so right now I, on, on May 31st, uh, which is, is, uh, tomorrow, as I'm recording this, um, is the last day for submissions on, you know, like, I don't know, six different competitions and, uh, at least one fellowship, um, which is where you're submitting, you know, spec work, either, uh, uh, original scripts or, you know, depending on which thing you're submitting for, um, others are for spec scripts. And so I've, uh, been revising my work and like, um, and, and finishing some other work, uh, to submit for all these things. And, it's uh it's been a hell of an undertaking it's been really really amazing like it's so interesting how much you learn about your own writing and 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 how much you like will start to unlock about your stories as you're like trying to rush for a deadline and and focusing on you know i think particularly when it's in a um some you know a form of competition environment where it's like you know this is my script against however many you know thousand others right and you're you're trying to figure out like you know, which things in your script are, are you know, need some tweaking, which things are going to sort of stand out as uh, maybe not being, you know, up to par, and also which things are, like, actually really carrying it, right? Like, what are the highlights of it, and what are the things that are really standing out as 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 good and working and functional, um, and to try and accentuate those things and complement them and, and, you know, drawing out more contrast for instance in in you know the heavy dramatic moments or in the comedic moments or whatever and trying to figure out the you know rhythms that you can establish to to sell sort of those highlights even more um so it's been really cool you know over the last few weeks i've i've had a lot of friends uh reading my stuff and and you know giving feedback and it's all been so helpful and amazing and um and also just like you know we've talked about before but like uh, hearing, you know, positive feedback as well is really great. Like having people give very thoughtful notes that both, uh, tell you what you're doing well in their mind and also like things that you could be doing better. Having those together, you know, alongside each other are, are really, really nice. Um, and just, you know, to help point you in the right direction. So I hope that as you're all working on various stuff, whatever creative uh, works you're doing, uh, obviously comics for most of us is, is sort of the commonality, but whatever you're doing, you know, I hope you have a, um, a good network of friends who will, you know, tell you the things that, that you could be improving on while also, you know, acknowledging the things that you're doing well and kind of, you know, informing you sort of which, uh, which successes you're having in your work, because both are very important and, and we all love balance. Um, but as I've, as I've been, uh, you know, tightening scripts and, and working things, you know, like to as, as good of a point as they can get in this period. I've been thinking a lot about the 
the difference between plot and story um with one of my scripts i i there was a little there was a time where i was letting the plot sort of pull more weight than the story and um it 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 made me have to like think more consciously about the the order of operations and the order of priority and what is actually important in the story and what is just you know window dressing what is just sort of vehicular in function um and 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 what i talk about in the difference between plot and story is is essentially what your what happens in your story versus what your story is about right plot is the thing that happens plot is the vehicle through which we tell story um plot is the what of it all right plot is is where's your character going you know what what are they doing is it a heist is it you know like it's all the the tangible physical sort of you know events of what's happening it's the verbs right uh, uh, whereas story is, is the change story is the growth and story is the relationships. It's, it's the thing that you're actually talking about that you're using the plot to sort of convey, right? You know, we can, anyone can write a, a heist or, or, or a chase or, you know, a, 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 mis- a mystery or whatever. Like there's a lot of, you know, ways that you can tell a plot, but those things are never actually what's important about a story it's it's you know i think why um we see so many movies or comics or books or tv shows that on paper seem very appealing uh but then you find yourself kind of checking out after a certain point and and you know finding yourself not very invested and that's because to me at least and 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 obviously there's any number of reasons why this happens but i think largely it tends to be because the plot overshadows the story and that you lose sight of what is actually important in that story because sure it's a heist and that's all great but like the thing that's actually you know prescient underneath that is is the relationships and the change and the and the reflections that we see of ourselves in those heists right like i'm not a bank robber uh, but there are certain bank robbery movies that I find very appealing, and it's usually because I find the characters either interesting or relatable, or or I find something really um, important about what their their change arc is. You know, movies like like Heat uh, uh, is a, a great example to me, um, and I. Th- I, I just I, I think it's something, especially when you work in genre stuff like I do, and I'm sure like many of you do, you know, in, in sort of bombastic and, and very, um, you know, sort of high concept driven stuff, right, that has kind of a, a, a hooky sort of appeal to it. Um, it's very easy to get lost in that plot stuff, the the sort of fantasy of it all and the escapism or whatever. Um, but at the end of the day, you got to remember that stories are about change and they're about relationships and so you know that plot stuff doesn't really matter and honestly plot never really matters right plot is just sort of it's just a tool you're using it's just that you know it's the vehicle that you're you're taking on your road trip and and to some degree you want that vehicle to be reliable you want that vehicle to be functional to be efficient whatever to be comfortable uh but you don't need that vehicle to be particularly special right it's it's about the road trip you're going with your family or your friends or whatever and you're not all piling up in the car for the car you're you're piling up in the car for the trip um and and so just remembering that remembering the places that you're going on that journey um and remembering that plot is purely functional but but story is what's driving you so so you know as you're going into those things make sure you're thinking about 
you know, who your characters are, what you're trying to say with your story or what you're trying to explore with your story um, and, and where the change is happening. Is the change happening in your main character? Is the change happening, you know, in a core relationship? Is it two people learning to, to grow closer together through various trials? Is it two people learning that maybe they're better apart through, through various trials or is the change in the world? Do you have a character that is kind of static, you know, like, like, uh, you know, I think Ted Lasso, Paddington, Captain America, like, there are a lot of examples of stories where your your main character might be a bit static and doesn't necessarily have a change, but the change of the story happens in the world around them, right? It's a story about how they uh, influence everything around them. And it's something you also find in horror movies, honestly. Um, you know, there there are some horror movies that are about a group of, you know, people or or a person, you know, learning to change and overcome whatever the, the horrific obstacle is in their place. But there's also horror movies that are about, uh, you know, some, you know, evil sort of force that corrupts all of the things around it. Um, and so I, you know, focusing in and, and just remembering what is the change, what is the relationship, what is the growth um, within your story, and then using the plot and and structuring and 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 making the plot work as a way of showing that rather than having the plot drive the story, where you're trying to figure out a way to, you know. Uh, uh, make a story, make a growth happen around whatever sort of hooky plot thing you have. It's never going to be quite as satisfying to me personally, you know, and, and this is obviously everything I say in all of these uh, spots of the show is purely my opinion, and I'm sure there are contradictions to it. Um, but to me personally, I feel that that if I'm thinking plot first, if I'm thinking about the hook of it first, uh I'm never really going to find as as satisfying uh, of a story as I will if I'm thinking about thematics, about about you know character, about growth, about what I'm actually trying to say with my work, and then finding a plot to fit that. You know, and sometimes the two are going hand in hand. Sometimes you have a germ of an idea that's like you know I want to I want to put this particular thing in this particular environment with you know this particular uh, plot, right? Like a, a I don't know I want to put Lord of the Rings in space and make it a, you know, a heist, right? Like whatever the hell that is. Uh, sometimes you have a little idea there, but like, that's not, that's not a story, right? Those just saying those three things isn't a story. It's about being like, okay, so then if I'm doing that, who is, who is the character? If the character is, you know, let's say a character like Frodo, what is the journey of that? Right. If you're doing a, a, a Lord of the Rings, you know, heist in space, um, is it about trying to, you know, get the ring from a faraway moon or something, you know, like, is, is that the heist? Is it, is it trying to steal that thing? And then, okay, so then if it's about trying to steal that thing, is there going to be a growth of sort of, you know, like getting to that point where he does get the ring and then realizing that the ring corrupts him and having to sort of figure out a way to get rid of the ring and make sure it's not, you know, falling into evil hands, right? Like what, and what does that say about the character, right? Is it, is it sort of that figuring out like, oh, I need to be driven from within me, not from this thing that is, that is purely, um, 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 superficial, right? That a character like a Frodo learning uh, uh, that the ring will not bring him happiness; that the happiness needs to come from within, and then and then sort of choosing to destroy the ring because of that. And obviously, that's not the shit that actual Lord of the Rings is about. That's just this hypothetical <laughs> Lord of the Rings heist in space. Um, but you know what I mean? It's 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 you need to figure out that because if it's if you're just purely going off of plot, you're going to find a lot of holes, and people are just going to be left unsatisfied. So uh, that's that's sort of my message: is just make sure you're looking at story more than you're looking at plot and use the plot to complement the story, not the other way around. Um, 
I don't know. That is that is any of that anything? My brain's so fried. I'm so tired. Um, I don't know. I hope uh, some of that is something. Um, you know, uh, go online and research work from people who are smarter than me about this stuff. Uh, but that's I don't know. That's all I've got for the catch up today. I'm gonna you know hit some more deadlines tonight, and uh, you know hopefully hopefully some fruit comes out of these uh, t- trees that I'm planting. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> that's a metaphor. Uh, but before we get into the interview, uh, I just want to let you know that this episode is, of course, brought to you by Garm. That's the graphic artist resource uh, management company. I keep for- I always forget what the M stands for. Um, they are a service for digital artists. Uh, if you use Procreate or Photoshop, they've got all sorts of tools to help you uh, put push your work to the next level. Um, they have tools like the Rawhide Kit, which I've talked about before. I use all the time in my work. I love uh, bringing out that tactile sort of tangible nature in my work and and. Um, bringing back some of the elements of, of print media into the digital work and sort of bridging the gap uh, between our modern world. Because, I mean, you know, not for nothing, I've talked about this on the show before, but it is for a lot of people now more feasible to work digitally, like financially feasible, economically feasible to work digitally than it is to work traditionally. You know, for instance, like for my comics, they are all everything that I do is contained within uh, my, you know, I don't know, 13 inch surface and a hard drive. And that's it. That's all I need. And I don't have to take up a bunch of space and stuff. And so for someone who lives, you know, in a city uh, where space is sometimes hard to come by and, 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 you know, it's, it's tough to get right, like a drafting table and a bunch of different brushes and pencils and then storing pages and all that stuff. Like, it's very difficult. Uh, and so for me, the most economical way to do my work has been to use a surface. And there's something that I think is lost there. And there's a lot of things that I think are gained. Uh, but using a tools like what Garm provides allows me to kind of still have that type of feeling that I like to evoke in my work uh, while being able to make my comics in a, in a much more economical way and feasible way for me personally. Um, obviously, you know, if, if you're some of my friends who live in the, the Midwest or in, you know, various places that have a lot of space, then you might not need to worry about that. And maybe you're still going traditional. But also, you know, for digital stuff, you, there's a lot less fuss about scanners and, and, you know, I mean, either way, at this point, comics are going to involve digital processes, right? Like, f- for the most part, either you are you know, at the bare minimum, you're scanning in your pages to send to a printer or to send to an editor or whatever. And if you're working on, you know, 11 by 17s or whatever, shit, man, that's a that's a big freaking scanner you got to get. <laughs> so like, you know, the, the cost of equipment ends up being kind of the same if you're working traditionally or digitally, but then you're not having to replenish your supplies all the time. And anyway, I, I'm, not, I'm not meaning to make any sort of argument for whether you should do digital or traditional. But if you are using uh, digital tools, then uh, definitely check out Garm. They are a favorite of mine, and, and I'm I'm sure they will be a favorite of yours. So head over to garmcompany.com slash TMBC, and you'll get 20% off your order. Um, it's a great tool. I love it. I use it, and uh, I hope you do too. Reminder, one more time, just to follow the show at TMBC Workshop, and you can follow me at Jason Halftones. And of course, you can follow our talented and amazing guest, Sophie Goldstein, at Red Ink Radio. But without further ado... Let's get on into the show. And I am here with Sophie Goldstein. Sophie, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So, uh, of course, we're here to talk about, you know, numerous things, as, as I outlined in the intro. Um, but what we want to start with here uh, uh, before, uh, you know, we get into all of the, the university stuff and the program um, is you've got a new book coming out, Flash Forward, uh, which you edited and also uh, wrote and drew a story in um, and 
you know, probably more more than I'm even simplifying there. But tell me a bit about Flash Forward. So uh, Flash Forward was originally a podcast um, and that created by Rose Eveleth. And it's a kind of like a science slash science fiction podcast. So each episode goes around. Oh, my, <laughs> the cats are, the cats cat. are giving us some background noise. She's literally it's going great. to knock over. I'm so sorry. I'm going to hold on. <laughs> it's okay. Fantastic timing. So uh, one actually like this is a great example. So one of the episodes um, that she has is like, what if animals could communicate? And then um, she'll mm. in the, this is in the podcast. She'll have like a skit with voice actors and people like in a scenario, fictional scenario around this concept. And then she'll do interviews with like scientists and psychologists and science fiction writers who will kind of expand upon that and like talk about the real world implications. Um, mm. So the book takes the basic shape of the show. So each chapter is around like one of these big concepts, like um, building cities underwater. My episode is about like, what if all pop stars um, had virtual avatars instead of appearing in person? And so it opens with a comic that kind of explores that that's both written and drawn by a cartoonist who like has read the research that she has, but takes their own, has their own take on it. And then mm. the rest of the chapter is her going into the science and, um, right. you know, it's real. Some some of these, like, for example, in my chapter, there are already examples of, I mean, we all know about, like, the holographic recreations of dead celebrities. Right. Um, and then there is entirely uh, created celebrities. Uh, like, there's a Japanese pop star who's entirely kept fabricated. Wow. Yeah, so super weird. Um, so that's yeah. like the concept for the book. So I did a chapter and then I also uh, was part of like recruiting and corralling and guiding um, some of our cartoonists. Right. I, and I will say it's it's a it's a hell of a lineup uh, that, that you have pulled together here for this book. I mean, truly, like between yourself, Ben Passmore, Box Brown. I mean, there's like so many amazing creators here that you know like and obviously matt lipchansky from the nib who you know co-edited along with you like it's truly i i just i am astounded at how um how the the breadth of the you know sort of stylistic sensibilities here um the depth of some of the and you know i i truly i haven't been able to finish reading this entire thing yet because i've been kind of like taking each story at a time and like reading you know the 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 prose along with the the um sequentials and it's like it's such a really it's a dense book in all of the best ways where like each individual chapter really like gives you a lot to chew on um and to and to think about and carry with you and so it's 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 an astounding work um what tell me about how long it took to get all this put together Oh, geez. Uh, I think we, I actually, when the book was about to come out, I went back and looked at my like first emails with Rose and I think it was like at least four years ago. <laughs> so wow. it, yeah, it was been in development for a long time. And then um, I don't remember when we first started um, actually corralling the artists, but, it's, but that was at least two years ago because we wanted to give mm-hmm. a lot of time for people. Right to do their comics um, and make sure people hit deadlines and stuff. Cause you know, this is just, everybody has lots of stuff on their plate and it was a lot of moving pieces, um, right. especially getting people who, you know, like who have big 
careers where they're they're a lot in demand. Um, <laughs> sure. So, uh, so yeah, it took a lot of doing. <laughs> um, so <laughs> was this very- your first time, like be? Was this your first time serving in like an editorial capacity on on a project, or like how was that experience for you? Yeah, it was it was definitely my first time. I've I've only done it more in a teaching capacity, whereas like looking at right. students' work and giving them advice. So, um, working doing this on a professional level with professional cartoons was definitely uh, leveling up for me personally. <laughs> um, I loved it. Like Matt's really? a complete old hand. Like they have edited the nib sure. forever, so they know exactly what they're doing. Um, but for me, I. Uh, you know, and I, I picked a handpicked a number of these artists and recruited them. So I am was am a huge admirer of their work. So it's sometimes a little intimidating to be like a little person whose work I follow and admire a lot. I I think you should change this thing, but um, mo- I mean, people were very like amenable because a lot of it's also uh, you know, it wasn't so much critiquing them on the level of like skill or craft. It's more, I. Uh, mm-hmm you know, well, I think you could push this a little further, like, especially like the just the science fiction components of it. Like, you know, you want to, you want to do something that's not just like the first level of it, but kind of like push it beyond like, what someone would immediately think to do with it. So um, sometimes it was just a little bit of that, or we had one story, whereas it was, um, the first uh, pitch story pitch was a little bit more magical realism, and that just didn't fit with the concept of the book. So that right. that was like a pretty straightforward like uh, this just doesn't like we need it to be more like real world. Um, so yeah, it was a lot of that, and we just went through the process of you know first there are the concept pitches, and then people submitted scripts, and then thumbnails and, and art and stuff, right. and. Um, yeah, we went through the whole thing. And a lot of that was just setting deadlines to make sure that everything came in on the same amount of time. Because after you approve a, a script, like, as mm-hmm. someone who is a cartoonist, I'm like, you know, I'm hoping that by the time it's thumbnails, like, you're pretty much set. Because I don't want to tell people to redraw pages. Right. That's, like, the worst thing anyone can hear. It's so much more work than to, like, rewrite something. Yeah. So, um, so that's just not what... <laughs> So to try to avoid that by seeing people's thumbnails and approving their thumbnails, that is like the way to make sure that you don't get in a situation where you're asking someone to redraw a page. Right. And and I'm, I'm actually curious, you know, sort of tying that into to your personal work, which, you know, you have such a, a, a wide breadth of like genre and and format and length and, and all this stuff. And I, I, I'm wondering, like, is planning a process like is is planning an integral part of your own process and was that a sort of hard learned lesson or is that something that's always been kind of intrinsic to how you work i think i i've always been a planner from pretty early on um i think that as a storyteller uh you know i mean there are people whose process is just kind of like doing pages as you go like um you know Mm -hmm. not planning beyond the next couple panels and right. uh, and that keeps it alive for them. But for me, it's important that the story have a satisfying shape. And right. um, it's in order to really like to set up things to have a satisfying ending, you need to have them start at the beginning. You need to have that kind of like cyclical, you know, suggestive things and, uh, you know, like 
opening and closing image. This, this is some like terminology that I'm kind of borrowing right. from movies and things, but, um, <laughs> sure. but it's yeah, visual so, storytelling. I think, I think that those are relatable for sure. Yeah. So in order to really have that work, I think it's really good to have, I like to at the very least have a full script before I start drawing anything. Um, sometimes mm-hmm. with the thumbnailing, I'll like maybe thumbnail more as I go, but I need to know the whole shape of the story. Um, and I, I feel like the right. downside to that is that it does like, sometimes it can get a little boring cause you like, there's no surprises. <laughs> um, right. But if the ultimate end goal is to make the most satisfying experience for the reader, then I think that planning ahead is what definitely works for me. Sure. And, and, and I'm wondering like in terms of, you know, writing a script for yourself and planning all that out, how granular do you, do you get and how much room do you sort of leave for like, you know, organic uh, uh, interpretation or improvisation or whatever? Like, are, are you going like, you know, panel by panel, like breakdowns in your script? Or are you kind of going like page by page? What's your, what's your, what do they look like? Well, so I've done both things where I'm, it's all solo. And then I've, my most right. recent book, I mean, aside from um, Flash Forward, uh, was an embarrassment of witches, and that was co-written with my mm-hmm. friends. So um, when I was doing the co-writing, we basically had like, you know, we were we were writing a script that was entirely text. So when she was writing pages, I was just like, just have like six panels a page. But then when it came to thumbnail, I would just like break that down and reorganize it and reshuffle it however I wanted. Um, right. But when I'm writing for myself, I'll kind of like script and thumbnail at the same time. And I think in terms like basically what I'll know is like in a panel, I'll be like, okay, here's the little stick figure of the character. Here's the word balloon. (laughs) Here's the other stick figure. And then the, uh, the kind of like the, uh, the ingenuity or the ad hoc part of the whole process is in, um, the gestures and the facial expressions. And then like, I do like to add fun background details. And some of that is just like, both because, you know, that makes a place seem more alive. And some of that is just like, you know, it it gets so tight that that's like the, the little part that I can be really loose with or, um, just add fun little things because it's, you know, not intrinsic to the overall story. Totally. Um, Yeah. Yeah. So, but <laughs> I don't know. It's funny because I've been doing um, recently. I've been doing prose writing um, mm-hmm. for, and I it was like I forgot every single lesson that I learned from like ten years of doing comics, <laughs> and I started writing. <laughs> I started writing a book, and I started without any plan whatsoever, and I wrote, <laughs> I worked on it for months, and then at a certain point, I was like, "Oh wow, this is like a complete utter mess." And I just had like, it was, I did the exact same thing I would tell, I would recommend students never do. Like students will come into comics and they'll be like, okay, I have this cast of characters. I've been drawing them since I was six. I have like 20 (laughs) outfits for each of them. I have these very intricate plans. This is going to be like 20 years. It's my lifetime work. I'm like, okay, (laughs) don't do that. Like save that (laughs) and do an eight page comic from start to finish and just like, finish it um yeah. and i ignored my own advice and i was like okay i'm going to write a novel so i've never i've not yeah. written prose for like 10 years but i'm definitely i'm going to write a novel it's going to be great it was not great <laughs> reader Start- it was not great <laughs> starting small seems to always be the lesson with like everything and it's the one that no one seems to like actually 
consciously like realize it's always one that you like have to learn by like making the mistake and like starting a million long form projects that you never, put, you know, like that kind of thing. And then you eventually are like, maybe I just maybe two pages, maybe maybe 10 pages is all I need, you know, like that kind of thing. <laughs> yeah, I just I think I don't know what it, I guess it's because we um, like a lot of uh, publishing and stuff is around graphic novels and novels and like right. the market for short stories um is maybe not as robust and for short comics like the same thing and so um you know like that's what a lot of people is like okay i want to get a graphic novel published so i have to do a graphic novel but um right it's just like it's like building muscles you just gotta just like if you're going to pick up that giant bar you're going to pop a muscle in your back uh, which I know from actual yeah. experience doing that, but, uh, you gotta like work up to it. And I think it's also, right. uh, and I, when I was in school for comics, um, I think I learned as much doing a shorter project as I did learn doing a longer project. It's not like right. you learn exponentially more on a longer project. And also you can take bigger risks with shorter stuff because you're like, well, if this is a complete failure, I spent like a couple weeks on it, not years. Totally. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're far less invested. Like it, it's not going to like whether it's a serialized or a complete graphic novel, both would be bad, right? Like in terms of, you know, messing up on a long form project, because either you're spending a ton of time on a project or you're like seeing the financials just completely go down the toilet if you mess up, yeah. if you're doing a serialized thing. Like, but yeah, doing a short story, it's like, OK, I'm 10 pages was it good? Was it not? I don't know. I learned something and now on to the next thing. Like, um, no, that's, that's, it's really interesting. And I find that interesting about, um, your own work because it seems as though, you know, you have a lot of these, these long form projects, um, and, and, you know, graphic novels, but you also have like quite a few short stories that you've done. And I wonder if that's a conscious thing on your part of like breaking up the pattern or like trying to sort of bounce back and forth between, these two different, you know, uh, types of projects. I mean, is that something that's conscious for you or is it just kind of like you take it as it comes? I mean, it, it would be super smart if that was something I was doing consciously. <laughs> Cause I think it would really help with my overall enthusiasm and energy levels. Right. Um, but a lot of my shorter work is, was towards the beginning of when I started being a professional cartoonist and did a lot of, and I was like, I'm going to do every single anthology. <laughs> Uh, and then I, I did start doing graphic novels and then was just doing graphic novels with the very occasional, um, anthology thing that someone approached me for. Right. But I have like, I've not been doing shorts comics. Like this is the, the flash word story is much more the exception than the rule. Um, mm. which is, you know, now that we're talking about, it, I feel like maybe a mistake, um, because, there's just something very energizing about finishing something and having something to put out in the world. And right. uh, the difficulty with doing a graphic novel is that you spend so much time working on it and you don't get that satisfaction of like completion. And I'm not even talking about like the pressure that people constantly feel in our social media world to like be putting yourself out there. I just mean the personal satisfaction of completing right. something. Like, yeah, that like endorphin release of like, I'm done with it. It's done. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then you're like, hey, you know, friend, friends, like, look, this thing I did. And they're like, oh, that's very cool. 
Um, and it doesn't even yeah. have to be something that you like put out into the world. It, or, I mean, even if mm-hmm. you were working on a bunch of short stories that you would eventually collect into a book, each one would be like a little bit of like a, a little endorphin rush and you'd be like, yeah, punch <laughs> the air. I finished yeah. that, that short story and it, it rocked. Yeah, man, I sound so old right now. <laughs> no, it's really, I, but I understand. I know what you're saying. You know, I mean, like it's because it is a lesson that I had to learn pretty recently with my own cartooning. Like I, because I have like you know two longer form comics that I've been working on for a, a quite a long time with collaborators, and like are are reaching you know the point of completion. Like are getting close to it. But it did, it did take so long. And in that entire time, there's so many times where you get really demoralized and you start questioning the, the you know, endeavor itself. And then, Ugh. like, within this last year, it was also a thing of, like, maybe I should just also, like, be doing short stuff for anthologies. Like, there's this Kickstarter anthology market that's so big now. And, like, why am I not participating in that? Um, and it's been great because it's just like, yeah, you, like, write out a story and, and start drawing. And, you know, you spend, yeah, a couple weeks on something. And you're like, oh, my God, I'm done. It's great. <laughs> Holy shit. Like, <laughs> and it makes you feel so much better. I'm like, why, are, why isn't everyone just doing short stuff is, like, a feeling I get sometimes. And then I remember that people don't buy it as much. But... <laughs> Yeah, I mean, there is that, but yeah, I don't know. I I do feel like with every with every project, there's kind of like mm-hmm. a, an emotional, and this might just be personal to me. I know other, I've talked with other people who share it, but like, I don't think it's like a built-in thing to making art. But for me, mm-hmm. there's also an um, emotional uh, kind of roller coaster. So at the beginning, my enthusiasm, of course, is like super high. I'm like, this is the best yeah. concept. <laughs> ever come up with oh my god like this book is going to win every eisner it never (laughs) wins an eisner but it's going to win every eisner and then um and that continues basically like through i do enjoy writing it and then and then i have all the thumbnails and stuff and like okay it's time to start drawing i basically have not even started the book yet and i'm like (laughs) yeah shoot, this is, now, <laughs> this is going to be a long time. So then I'm drawing it and like, there's a slow slope of just like, as I'm grinding out the pages mm-hmm. and then I'm inking it. So I'm going over the exact same page all over again, but with ink this time. And my enthusiasm is just dipping even further. And then I'm coloring, mm-hmm. which to me is like, I hate coloring. So... <laughs> It's like I'm seeing this page again. I'm so sick of these pages. Right. I just want this project to be over. And then and it's just like, so it just like keeps sliding down and down. And then I'm like, oh, why am I even spending time on this? This is like not as good as I thought it was. And I'm still only like two thirds <laughs> of the way through. Right. And then hopefully by the time the book comes out, I've regained my enthusiasm. <laughs> hopefully. <laughs> or at least like hopefully. I'm capable yet enough <sighs> I, know. It, it, I, I relate to that a lot though i mean like for me i, I actually enjoy coloring but i really hate inking i'm so mm-hmm. i'm bad at it i don't understand it i'm like i've really i need to like study light so much more so that i can actually understand what inking is um but like it's there is always that process part of the process and i gathered this from you know from all the interviews i've done is everyone seems to have a part of their process that they just absolutely hate and that just fully sucks the, the juice out of them, you know, like, yeah. I guess there has to be some sense of adversity in any creation. Otherwise, uh, uh, you know, what's, what's the interest at all, right? Like what's keeping you does engaged? Does there? I mean, does there? <laughs> I mean, can't, can't we just make all of it fun? I don't know. That would, that would be what I would like to do. 
Um, I guess <laughs> I like, think we just find smaller and more granular things to like hate about the process. Even if we took out, you know, like if, if you didn't have to color your work and someone else did it for you, you'd probably just find another thing about your process that you hate. <laughs> that's true. I did like for an embarrassment of witchers, uh, we hired a color flatter and yeah. that helped, but I was still, because I'm very finicky and anal, I was still going in and like switching things around and like, Sure. It was like the same amount of work almost <laughs> <laughs> at the end. And not because he didn't do a great job, but, but just because I couldn't let go enough. Right. Uh, to well, yeah, and you're, you're, a, you're like a singular creator. Like most of your work is done by yourself. And so trying to introduce a new, you know, cog into that wheel, it kind of it f- upsets the rhythm. And it's hard to like a- allow that to sort of blend in seamlessly at first. Yeah. I mean, delegation and... Um, co-authorship only works if you can let go enough to allow right. the other person's space to exist. <laughs> um, and I could do that with like working on writing with Jen. Um, but I had not was, did not find myself able to do it as much with coloring. Right. Uh, but maybe th- I feel like that's more of a learning curve than I need to do. Like, you know, it would be great. Like if you don't like inking, maybe just like hire an inker. There's no sure. law that you have to do all of it. No, I do think cartoonists particularly like people, you know, obviously in like corporate owned comics, it's so much more common to be like, oh, yeah, here's your writer, your pencil, or your ink or whatever, like letterer. But I, for whatever reason, among cartoonists, it's such a especially the visual part of it is such a like thing that people get so protective of, like, mm. you know, identity wise and also like value wise and just process wise. Like we have such a thing in our brains. that's like, no, 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 this is I'm doing this. I don't need, I don't want anyone else here. <laughs> it's because we're all just like masochists. <laughs> something, there's something about cartooning that just like, it just draws people who love suffering. I think it's like only below animation because animators love suffering. That's why they get into it. You're drawing mm-hmm. the same thing like 20 times. Um, and with cartooning, uh-huh. You know, it's just like you're drawing the equivalent of like a single piece of art, like at least six times on any given page um, times, however many pages are in the book. And then, you know, it's just like it's a lot. It's a lot of work. It takes a lot of time. And so to a certain extent, you got to love the grind. (laughs) Right. Do you do you do anything in your process to keep each each part of the iteration a little fresh. Like I know, obviously we're talking about just the complaints of, of the re- repetition, but like, I know some people will, and I've talked about it on the show before, but people who will like loosen up their pencils or draw very loose or rough or whatever. So that then when they're inking, there's a bit more of like creative work being done where they're kind of refining the image a bit more and like finding where that perfect line is among all the scribbles. Like, do you, do you do that? Or do you try to refine your pencils as much as possible? Oh, I pencil really tight. Um, yeah. No, I, I totally, I get the logic behind that. Um, but mm-hmm. I, and like my pencils basically look like my inks just with a pencil. Sure. Um, <laughs> I have a iPad now and I would love to figure out how to draw. I'm trying to work on like drawing digitally because, because for that reason, like it's a, you know, like if I could just skip to inking, then right. And I would save myself a lot of time if, and I think some, you know, I've seen with the technology now, I don't think there's a huge qualitative difference in terms of like what right. you see on the reader's end. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, if anything, I do the opposite. Cause I, 
I pencil on paper and then I scan mm. that and then I print out blue lines onto Bristol. Right. Um, so because I'm so afraid that if I mess up my inks, like at least I'll still have the pencils <laughs> that I can then reprint <laughs> so I can re-ink right. them. So it's just like as... Like it's like the equivalent of having every muscle in my body clenched. It's like <laughs> how tight I am about my process. Yeah. Um, I fully is, get that. I, uh, <laughs> I here's the thing. I, I like I work mostly digitally because I'm you know kind of back and forth, and it's just so much easier to do that. And also, I'm not very confident in my traditional ability, especially with ink. But like, uh, uh, I make so many copies of like each page I'm doing or even scripts. Like if I'm like, Oh, I need to go and rewrite this. I'll make a new copy of the script so that I have the old version in case I like lose some <laughs> sense of like life out of it or whatever, or like, Oh, I'm going to revise this panel. Let me make a copy of this page and then just replace that panel and look at them next to each other and see if that looks better. you know, like that yep. kind of shit where it's like, what am I doing? <laughs> Why am I so precious about this? Um, uh, and then the last couple of questions as we, as we sort of, you know, ramp out of, um, part one of this episode, uh-huh. uh, uh, what are you, what are the tools right now that are essential um, to your process? I mean, there's like physical tool. I get, I, I guess it depends on what you mean. Like what are you talking about? Like actual open to phys- interpretation. Okay. <laughs> um, I have, I mean, my most important tool is this one pencil that I use to pencil with. It's like a, it's like a super hard si- I forget what it is. And like, it's so worn that you can't even see what it originally was. It's a super hard pencil. So it leaves a very light line. It's really light. Yeah. Yeah, So that's the only reason that it's lasted for like, literally like six to eight years. (laughs) And uh, at least, at least every couple months, I think I've lost this pencil and I have a complete utter meltdown about it. (laughs) Cause it's like, it's my favorite pencil for no particular reason. I care about it very much. Oh my God. That's so funny. It's like some um, very weird emotional attachment <laughs> to a pencil. Hey, you gotta, you gotta have the religious part of your, of your creative process. I think there's gotta be that sense of like uh, sort of, you know, whatever belief in, in a higher power, be it an object <laughs> or whatever, like that, that has to be there, I think. Um, and then the last thing, uh, uh, you know, Flash Forward, which is available now. So everyone go out and check it out. It's an amazing work. And I, I think it's a, a really fantastic book. Uh, after working on this project, you know, writing and drawing your story and also editing everyone else, you know, like all of the other works, do you find yourself more or less optimistic about the future? Um, gosh, I mean, it, it's just so hard to talk about that without the context of everything that's going on in the world right now. Right. But, I think having read the stories, um, I don't, you know, I think that a lot of science fiction tends towards pessimism Mm. about technology and what that's um, doing to the world. And I think pessimism is very easy in a lot of ways. Like, I love the show Black Mirror, but like, I think it's, there's a certain degree to which what they do is easy. Like, it's easy to poke holes in something or say like, okay, this, I can really extrapolate the worst case scenario for this. Um, and thinking about uh, positive applications or being utopian about things is in many ways much harder. And uh, right. so I try to like, I think that things are dark, but uh, <laughs> there is a light at the end of the tunnel. <laughs> hey. Um, I think if there if if there's any better distillation of the world right now, I I, I don't know a better one. 
Yeah. And what I read about uh, a lot of technology, especially like stuff about the environment and environmentalism, um, I feel more optimistic about that than I did before. Uh, And I also think that the future is not going to look like whatever we think the future is going to be like, it's just, that's not true. (laughs) We can't see how, where we're going. If I've learned anything over the past, like six ish years, um, we have no (laughs) clue. So, um, so I guess I, I do feel more positive and I think the book does a good job of having like a kind of balanced view of tech, which is nice. So, so the second reason that we have you on the show today, of course, is uh, because of the uh, comics and graphic novel low residency MFA program at uh, Leslie University, which you're, of course, a, a co-faculty member of. Um, tell me, tell me a bit about sort of where this program started. You know, when this kind of came up as a, a possibility to do, and, and what the program is. Um, so, uh, Leslie University has like a long-standing uh, low residency MFA program in creative writing. Mm-hmm. So the comics, what they call them genres. So they have like a fiction genre and a screenwriting genre. And so even though I disagree with this terminology, comics and graphic novels is the newest (laughs) genre in the program. Got it. Um, And no matter how much I tell them, it's a medium. Can we just call it that? They're like, no, this is the terminology we already have. Deal with it. I guess guess if they, yeah, if they consider screenwriting a genre, then I will accept them saying comics is a genre, as long as it's not the only thing that's qualified as a genre. But uh, yeah, I, I, we're all genres I here. <laughs> You're a genre. <laughs> I'm a genre. We're all genres. <laughs> so anyway, comics and graphic novels, newest genre. And um, but the format is uh, of the program is basically the same. So it's low residency. So for most of the year, you're at home. And you are working one on one with your uh, with your mentor. Um, so basically mm-hmm. you together are designing a highly individualized program, um, figuring out what you want to work on, submitting packets of your work and getting feedback uh, throughout the semester. And then uh, at the end of the semester, so it's two semesters uh, program type right. structure, you come to the campus mm-hmm. and you spend nine days, you know, in the before times when we spend time together. <laughs> sure. Now they're virtual, but soon they'll be back to. Being. I mean, you know, by this fall semester, there's there's I feel like there's a pretty good chance that it might be back in, you know, regular. Yeah, occurrence. I totally or at least, you know, think so. Yeah. Or at least I hope so. <laughs> Um, fingers crossed (laughs) fingers crossed and then you have workshops that you do and not only do you do workshops with um with your teachers in your own genre but you also have the opportunity to take Mm -hmm. workshops outside of your genre which i think is like really interesting and cool and like very unique to leslie um Mm -hmm. and then you go back re-inspired to make whole new like packets of art and stuff. So I think the thing that, um, that maybe distinguishes this program from other programs, because now there's like a number of comics MFA programs. Right. Um, but we have, first of all, there's like, you know, it's not as structured as your traditional comics program. So you're not going to take like a class on lettering or a class on inking or whatever, something like that. Um, Mm -hmm. instead, Uh, It's kind of tailored to the individual. So a lot of the students come in and they'll have their own projects that they want to pursue and work on like while they're in the program. And so Mm -hmm. uh, 
we can kind of shift and figure out like, okay, so this is what you're interested in. Here's your suggested reading that kind of like goes along with that. Here are the skills that you like, depending on what level you're coming in with, like here are the skills that are relevant to what you want to do with this. Um, And Mm -hmm. then also my co-teacher, Pam, her background Mm -hmm. isn't really so much in comics. It's actually in book arts. Um, Mm -hmm. So we're also looking, I mean, it's comics and graphic novel genre, um, but (laughs) we're also uh, interested in people who who are looking to make art that uses words and images and maybe you wouldn't traditionally think of as comics or um, sure. yeah, because there's just a whole world of like other art that is comics adjacent, but maybe in terms of right. like marketing or publishing history, not really thought of as comics. And we want those people. We want them to come mm-hmm. in. Um, we want them to mix together with our cartoonists and we want to see amazing things come out. Um, right. So we're trying to draw a much wider circle around comics um, than than what I think like a lot of people think of as comics and, um, and get people who, uh, who are interested in doing something weird or innovative or outside the box with it. So, um, so that's what the Leslie program is about. It's, it's interesting that you talk about that too, and and sort of the relation to like, um, you know, illustrated prose fiction, uh, uh, you know, or even picture books is that I, I do think that there's kind of like, there's a lot of blurs in the lines between those different types of books. And I think it, it, it seems to be very rarely um, exploited, like the most recent and obviously, like, I don't know every comic that's published or anything. But like, you know, and, and I think flash forward is an example of that, right? Like having comics and and prose together. But you know, I think like, um, there's a book a few years ago, uh, called AD after death, which was written by Scott Snyder and, and illustrated by um, Jeff Lemire. And it was kind of that type of thing where there would be sort of there were like these three timelines. One timeline was told in a fully prose narrative. One timeline was told in like a prose and illustrative narrative. And then another one was like fully sequential. And like Mm -hmm. they all sort of bled together. And I think that like that's an interesting like, you know, sort of category of graphic novels that feels very like um, not, you know, or like it just feels like sort of un, un, uh, what do they call that? Untapped? Mind untapped there we go why couldn't i um <laughs> but yeah like untapped territory in, in a lot of particularly american comics um i know in european comics it's a little more common but like it's but it's interesting that your your program kind of takes the focus of 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 sort of bringing those things together because i do think that there's so much potential there yeah i think in europe there's like photo comics or a thing where instead right. of you having drawn images, it's the same basic format. You have panels and things, but it's actors posed right. and then you photographed with superimposed word balloons. And sure. um, and I mean, that would be a thing that would be totally at home in our genre. Like what, however you create your images, like it doesn't mm-hmm. have to involve necessarily have to draw, involve drawing. Like we're not turning away people if you draw, like that's what I do. Um, right. But like Pam yeah. works with photographs. Um, and petrographs, which I don't I involve rocks. I'm not really entirely clear <laughs> on the process there. Um, and she's done interesting things like putting screen printing images onto sidewalks. And like, there's just, you know, there's a whole world of things that you can do with this art form. Um, you know, mm-hmm. I and my husband, uh, Carl Antonowitz, We've done uh, performance, live performances of comics where we've taken our comics and adapted them to 
to be performances. So you have single panels on screens and then you have voice actors doing the, doing the characters. And then he also uh, creates like soundscapes. So fully soundscapes and um, soundtracks that go with it. So, uh, and that would be a thing that you would be able to do in our program because like, again, like there's that kind of like you can design you can design it around the art that you want to create if there's words and images or game. <laughs> right. Um, so no, that I think that, sense. yeah, and there's a lot of uh, potential in that. And we live in a, in an era where like genre distinctions are kind of like fading in a lot of ways. Um, and you see right. a lot more, like I'm a big science fiction reader. And so I see a lot sure. more of this in terms of like the line between literature air quotes and science fiction um where you see a lot more people like dabbling in science fiction themes and like bringing that into a like new yorker style literary space um right but i think with mediums as well there's just people aren't people aren't as wedded to those like distinctions as they used to be that makes a lot of sense. I, I yeah, I, I think there's, you know, and, and part of the sort of like democratization of, of the comics industry in, in recent years, I think has, has brought a lot of that where people are realizing that like, they don't have to adhere to a specific, you know, like a publisher's guideline or like a, a you know, sort of, you know, just distribution models guideline of what comics should be, um, which is really exciting. And I'm wondering, you know, because because obviously, like, as you touched on earlier, you know, nowadays comics programs are much more common, but for the longest time, it was not really a thing that was, you know, taught or really even acknowledged much on on the academic level. Um, Why do you think it is that like, it's, it's becoming more of an established thing for, for comics um, education in, in, in universities? Hmm. Yeah. I mean, when I was in college, uh, there was not a lot, uh, there were no classes, in comics, um, right. not at my university. And even, uh, I was a English undergrad and even then, like I did my mm-hmm. undergraduate thesis on comics and like not a single faculty member had like read a comic before. Uh, so that was fun. But, um, yeah. I think, so I think part of it is just kind of, there's like a rising level of respect for comics generally. Like you have, Mm-hmm. Um, starting with, you know, something like Mouse um, and right. then Fun Home or like these very, these comics that are like almost totem poles, like people read, people who don't read comics read these comics. Like that's when you know something's really arrived. <laughs> so uh, right. like those are, those are big examples or um, what's the the one about our, the Iranian immigrant? Oh, Persepolis. Persepolis. That was like huge. Um, And so, and uh, a lot of these are memoirs, which I think is um, an interesting thing that I have some questions about. But so these kinds of things raise the level of respect and awareness of people like the comics. They're not for kids anymore. (laughs) And, (laughs) uh, and then with that, you have more people who may be more artists who maybe in previous generations would have been writers or would have just painted who are now like i want to make serious work and i see comics as a serious medium where i can like make that work and not just not just like a commercial thing for kids and so um with that 
you now have like people are like, ah, I could create a program to like <laughs> that people will pay to become a serious artist right. in this rising medium. Um, sure. Which I make I, I make that sound nefarious, but I do think it's a good thing. <laughs> no, yeah, absolutely, and I think you know. Uh, I I have always been for and, and I'm very excited about comics being sort of presented, uh, you know, in in an academic way as as kind of a a you know medium all its own to be mined and explored and 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 expanded. Um, and I'm curious. I mean, was there like was this a situation where they sought you out with sort of the idea of of bringing this program to life, or did you come to them? Like, where was the kind of inception point that brought you together? Um, I was approached early on by another cartoonist who was involved in the, like the original inception of the program. And then um, his life became like too busy and he couldn't actually take it on. But Mm. so that's how I got drawn in. And, um, and then I was, and then, but so the, the program already existed, but it's, you know, it's still in a very early stages of, or recruiting students and like raising awareness and all that right. sort of stuff. But um, yeah, I guess, cause I've been going, I know, I knew this guy um, because uh, I've been going to uh, Massachusetts independent comics expo, popularly known as mice for forever. Right. And so I know a lot of people <laughs> in the Boston comics community and that's how I got my connect. There you go. Got it. I I'm, I'm curious, you know, just sort of like as a side tangent, um, you know, we're coming out of pandemic land to to some degree, you know, the world is kind of like starting to turn a corner back into normalcy. Um, and I'm wondering, from what I've, you know, heard, and, and maybe it's, you know, it's been different, you know, in recent years before the pandemic, but um, from what I know about you, you are someone who who does go to a decent amount of conventions. Uh, and I'm, I'm curious if there is a specific convention that you are most excited to, to return to. Uh, I think for me, the highlight of my year convention-wise is always the uh, Small Press Expo, SPX, in Bethesda, Maryland, right. uh, which is like, mm-hmm you know, where the Ignatz Awards are, which is like the Oscars of <laughs> indie comics. Um, right, the Eisners yeah. of indie comics, I guess you could say. Um, <laughs> yeah, so that one for me, because it's just, it like, it's a big tentpole show for indie comics. Right. And so I, I've i been going for a long time and people will travel pretty far to come to it. So I just, that's like, everyone is there. All of my friends, all of my associates and it's like everyone stays at or near the hotel that it takes place in and so that means like there's you know bar con which is like when everyone goes downstairs and like hangs out and has drinks on the patio after and um and then i'll go up to like one of my friend's rooms with the people who don't really drink who are just like in their pajamas watching stupid movies (laughs) on the television and it's just really uh it's really fun and oh my god, I missed it so much. <laughs> I always hear such great things about SPX and because I'm I'm, you know, mostly a West Coaster, uh, I just have not had like the opportunity to to get out to SPX yet, but everyone I know who who goes just has such great things to say about it as a show and I'm 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 excited to go back. I think whenever it is, you know, back, I I, I really hope and I can finally get a chance to go out there. Um, yeah, it's a phenomenal so, show and I highly recommend it. Yeah. Um, 
Now you are someone who, you know, like you went to the center for cartoon studies and, and I think as well that you, you know, took um, some classes at SVA and I'm curious in leading this program, uh, what, what are some things that you feel like might've been missing from your own comics education that you're hoping to sort of, you know, impart or bring into this program? That's a really good question. Um, well, I think a lot of, there's like a certain degree of professional guidance that I think a lot of programs don't really have. Like they might have like a professional practices class. Um, Mm -hmm. but one of the things that I, (laughs) that I envision doing in the future with our students is like, so this program is set at, um, it's in Leslie, uh, where the Massachusetts Mm -hmm. independent comics, I suppose literally at Leslie university every year. And it's such a good opportunity for me to like go, I'll be at the show professionally. And, um, you know, if my students, I imagine some of them will be in Boston. Like I can, you know, take my students and like introduce them to people and like, you know, publishers, it's a, it's a regional show, but like a big regional show. So, you know, I can help them make professional connections. I can like give them advice about tabling, um, you know, I go to all these shows every year. If they go to any of these shows, like I can do that for them and just like help facilitate that, you know, if they have, because again, it's so one-on-one, like, you know, if these people, if one of the things they want to do is put together a professional pitch that they send out to publishers, mm-hmm. like I can go through that with them and help them figure out like putting together a pitch packet and like, who do they send it to right. and like, you know, help foster those connections. Um, so that is something that I don't think that I didn't get at my program. And I don't know if like other programs, Mm -hmm. um, help foster that especially, but you know, I've been doing this for a while and I, and I think that that's something that I can share with people. Yeah, absolutely. Um, one thing I'm curious, uh, you know, I want to talk about your experience at, at CCS um, a bit more. And, and I, I think maybe a, a leading off question um, for that is uh, I've heard you mention the Silver Age project and that it, you know, was was a very challenging experience or something. <laughs> Tell me a bit about what the Silver Age project was. Wow, you must have been doing a deep dive in the archive here if you mentioned that. Um, I like researching. Oh, okay. Well, the Silver Age Project. God, that really brings me back. Um, so the Silver Age Project, <laughs> or the Golden Age Project, there's like different iterations. So I, uh, okay. and I don't even know if they do the same or although I'm pretty sure that they do. So in your first year at CCS, they put you in groups and each group has to do like a 24 page comic in the traditional manner. So you have people who are writers, you have people who are pencilers and inkers and letterers. So um, it's kind of Mm -hmm. trying to replicate that model of making comics. And um, yeah, and all the comics are like, you know, supposed to themed around a certain um, era of comics. So in our case, it was the silver age. So like the seventies. Okay. And uh, we were making this we got, uh, Key Quest, I believe was the name. And it was like a fantasy adventure comic. Um, and nice. it, so the whole thing has to be made in like a super short amount of time. So the whole project is designed basically <laughs> as a stress test. And, um, and I, as a human being, 
maybe failed <laughs> uh, this test because I totally made one of my friends cry. Uh, when oh, she no. felt, yeah, I did. It was terrible uh, when I felt oh. that she wasn't doing a good enough job on her thing. And um, I just, I'm not a huge fan of this project. I was like, why is this project right. designed to make me a bad person? Uh, but whatever, we turned it in. I graduated. Uh, so it's fine. Right. That trauma is in my past now. <laughs> well, tell me, so, you know, in terms of looking more globally at, at your experience at, at the Center for Cartoon Studies, like what, what were some of the... Um, the benefits and what, what do you think you, you got most out of, or what do you think are the longest um, living like lessons from that experience that sort of stay with you in your work now? Well, I think that the, I was making comics before I went to CCS and I'm sure I would have kept making them, but the kind of comics that I made completely changed. And I think some of that was just being in a, being in interaction with other people and like being challenged um, by my peers and by my professors. And right. it just, there's just something about, you know, this is the power of like an MFA or like taking classes or something um, is that mm -hmm. it just puts you in a different space uh, that takes, it takes you out of the rut that you're in and it mm -hmm. assaults you with a bunch of new ideas and you come out of that like radioactive with creativity that's a weird metaphor that I chose there. No, I love but, it. <laughs> yeah, it was just like, it was just, it's super, it, you know, the thing that I always think of um, when I think about taking classes and stuff. So uh, when I was living in New York, before I took my, mm -hmm. I took some continuing education courses at the School of Visual Arts in New York in comics. And that was kind of my, mm -hmm. when I first started doing comics after college, when I was working as a secretary, I bored out of my mind. Um <laughs> And they had this advertising campaign that was like, um, oh, God, am I actually going to blank on it? That's terrible. Uh, how bad do you want to be good? I think that was right. it. Okay, yeah. And I, I remember you mentioning this at some point in the interview, so I think that's that's correct, yes. Yeah, it just had a really – and I was just like – I look at that campaign – while taking my morning commute to sit in front of a computer for eight hours. And I'd be like, so bad. I want to be good so bad. And, um, <laughs> you know, it's not that you can't become a great artist without going to school. I think that's totally possible. Obviously, many people have done it. But there's just an acceleration right. process. Everything just happens faster. The alchemy in your brain happens faster. You improve faster you advance your career faster because like suddenly you're meeting a lot of people. Like that's one of the big things right. about any MFA program is the connections that you foster. Um, right. And so that for me is a big, it was just like, like we, we called it Hogwarts for cartoonists. Um, and <laughs> to a degree, I think that's totally accurate. Um, also I was sorted into house Slytherin um, which oh, is no. fine. <laughs> I've come to really own it. At first I was very insulted. Um, but now sure. I'm very proud house Slytherin and I married another Slytherin. So we're just part of the Slytherin family. It's fine. <laughs> Got it. Sure. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so I'm curious then with, with the students that you, um, that you're encountering now and the, and the students that you're instructing, like, 
is there any um is there any like marked difference that you notice or noticeable difference between the students coming in studying comics now and you know sort of yourself and your peers around the time that that, that you were studying does it feel like a completely different type of ball game or is there a lot of similarity um i think there's i mean more and more there's more um women and uh non-binary people who are coming into comics and Mm -hmm. also uh, just more diversity in terms of like people's backgrounds, ethnicities, that sort of thing, Uh, which Mm -hmm. so that, I mean, that's just like a demographic kind of thing. And I think part of that is like, there's more creators who are also like women or people of color. And so people can see themselves in those creators and be, and aspire to that. Um, Right. And also there's more interest in stories that aren't just like of like a white male, <laughs> which even like right. aside from superheroes, like comics with an X, the comics movement in like the, um, the seventies and eighties and stuff like that was mm-hmm. still white men, you know, doing right. drugs, yep. having sex, that sort of stuff. <laughs> um, so now there's more people doing drugs and having sex and doing comics about it. It's great. <laughs> Yeah. Um, so there's that. I think that there's also uh, there's also people who come into comics and um, and like I was talking earlier, like there's just people who see it, who come into it the way someone come into a sculpture program. Like, you know, it's not just about right. like maybe making cute little comics about their cat. Like they're like, I have serious things that I want to communicate and I want to be taken seriously while doing it with comics. Right. Uh, and I don't think like my, when we were starting out in comics, like everyone in comics was like ashamed of themselves. <laughs> they were like, Oh, I'm a cartoonist. So I'm already, I'm basically a clown, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like, Oh, right. oh, silly me cartoonist. Like nobody should take me seriously. Like that's a- seriously like the attitude that most of us had. Um, and right. wouldn't think of ourselves that, you know, like we wouldn't think of ourselves in the same realm as someone who's like a fine, a, a fine artist, a painter, a sculptor or a dancer Mm -hmm. or something. Um, But now, now people don't have that attitude. They don't have that chip on their shoulder about being a commercial art form. They're, they take themselves seriously and they take comics seriously. Um, And, uh, and that's great. (laughs) Hell yeah. No, I, I, it's, it's, it's cool seeing that evolution. Um, I'm also wondering in in your education, and I wonder if there are any echoes of it in in the students that you're teaching now. But what do what do you feel like was was some of the most important feedback that you got on your work uh, early on? Most important feedback I got early on. Um, what? No, I th- it's just I I'm just thinking about it. Cause mm-hmm. I, nobody's actually no, yeah, asked yeah, me fine. that question before. Um, <laughs> you're asking me questions nobody's asked me before. That's uh, that's unusual. Um, hey, I'm doing something right. I'm not. I'm <laughs> notching that one up in the uh, in the scoreboard, and uh, just you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna let that sort of uh, carry me through the next few weeks uh, emotionally. <laughs> there you go. I, I think that some of it was just, you know, I was trying new things, and when people mm-hmm. got what I was doing, that was huge. Um, you know, I think before right. I came from a web comics background. Uh, with Darren Carmichael's mm-hmm. Going to Hell, which is the comic I was working on when I um, first went yeah. to CCS. 
And that was like a comedy kind of slice of life fantasy comic. Uh, And then I started doing, I started doing stuff that was like much weirder. (laughs) Uh, I did this Mm -hmm. comic called the good wife uh, that is, was anthologized in the 2013 best American comics. Uh, Rest in peace, that series. Um, Right. But it was like this story about this, these two characters in this um that meet in the forest and then uh the the husband just starts taking this woman's limbs and like adding them to his body Mm -hmm. and so it's like just a very weird (laughs) messed up kind of story and like very different than what i was doing before which is like cute funny comics right um and i just remember like being so excited about but also being like really scared that people would be like what is wrong with you <laughs> like there are <is> serious <laughs> issues that you need to address maybe the psychological setting um but right. that wasn't the, like people were like really into it and they were they just were like got it they got what i was doing um they were excited about it and so there was a certain degree of like i just that program gave me permission to like do something different and to do something that felt mm-hmm. risky. Um, and it was, you know, I was putting it out there in a safe environment because, like, the people who are looking at it were my peers who, like, they knew comics, but they also knew me. Um, so mm-hmm. it was just, that was really great. And that was also, even though I've been a science fiction reader my entire life, like, that was also the first time I tried science fiction and, you know, <laughs> had people respond right. to that. So I think that's, that part of it is just like you getting to see people's reactions and not just like, not just a like button on a screen. <laughs> like people right. actually, yeah. yeah, nah, no, none of that. People sitting there evaluating you <laughs> while you sit there in the room with them, which is uh, a yeah. unique experience that everyone should have. <laughs> <laughs> it's a very different level of anxiety. Yeah, uh, critiques are like, they're, I think critiques are pretty fundamental to the experience of art school. And like, they're, they can be really great. And also very, <laughs> I remember some very ridiculous critiques that did not go well. But, um, oh, but I, uh, I yeah, it's, it's fine. Um, there is this like, <laughs> oh, God, one of my classmates, who I will not name, hated the concept of critiques and felt like, like there shouldn't, they just shouldn't exist. And uh, he would sit in the back of the classroom and like people would be like, well, you know, maybe like, I don't think this is working. Like maybe you should try da da da. And then he'd be like, well, I think it's great just the way it is. And he would like slam his hand down, like discussion over. <laughs> it was the oh least helpful God. thing in the world. I hope he never hears the this podcast. confidence. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Yeah, I, yeah, I, I wish I could ever even feign that level of confidence. <laughs> uh, to have the confidence of the boys that sit in the back of the room and like shout their opinions at the backs of people's necks. <laughs> so endearing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I agree with that. Um, also, you know, in sort of uh, uh, to kind of, you know, start wrapping up and, and, and sort of bring it back to the program. Um, mm-hmm. One thing I'm wondering is, you know, coming out of this very uh, uh, obviously strange and um, often depressing and bizarre and, you know, whatever other adjective you want to um, say about the last, you know, sort of year and a half, 
has has something over the course of this time has it a, a changed your approach to either comics or teaching or made you look at either of those things in a different light than maybe you had before and and what is kind of your like mindset like going into um a new sort of year and semester and phase of just teaching and, and working creatively well um you know it's been interesting because uh personally and creatively it's been a very it's been very challenging for me so i my book my book not this not flash forward but embarrassment of witches uh, came out mm-hmm. at the beginning of March in 2020, which is like right. the worst. Yeah, it was sucked. It was the worst possible timing. So um, I had a book tour. Everything got canceled. And because this is very early on, oh. like there was no shifting to um, a digital format or anything. Like people weren't set up for that yet. So it just got canceled. Um, right. And it was like, very demoralizing. And I, I mean, I think that, you know, the, the, the logical thing to do would have been to start working on the next project and just like hunker down. And then, you know, when it was all over, which we thought would be much sooner than this, uh, you know, pop back out with it. Like, here's the new book. Here's the new graphic novel I did during the pandemic. Um, right. But I just didn't have, I just couldn't, like, I, I couldn't make, art it was so like I was just so down um and -hmm. that's when I started so I spent a couple months just like being depressed um which is a full-time job and uh (laughs) then eventually yeah and then eventually I uh started I started writing prose um and I've been doing that since like I've written it's the same kind of work that I was doing as a cartoonist, only it's been prose work. And, um, and it's only like after maybe a year that I finally come around to be like, okay, I'm ready to start planning a new comics project. But I think that what I got out of that experience is just like that, you know, creativity is, it's so much more pliable and flexible than maybe we think of it. And, you know, like, I, I think you need to, and also just, I never thought of I never thought of my own creativity as uh, being particularly like I was always a professional like I'm going to just sit down and grind it out and like I'm going to do a book every right. couple of years da, da, da. and I had never faced the brick wall of just not being able to do that um, and I think it's right. taught me a lot of like humility and empathy and also uh, a new skill set of like okay well you know, if you're having trouble, then you need to take a turn and like try something different or like, you know, maybe a new medium, maybe a new, maybe a new process, maybe, you know, maybe move Mm -hmm. from paper to digital. Like, you know, there's just like, there's so much like needing to make do in this pandemic in order to move forward. And I think that that's a skill set you can take and move forward with. That's uh, that truly like to me, that just was like one of the most eloquent uh, uh, answers I could have possibly heard to, to such a um, specific and, and strange questions that that was amazing. <laughs> Thank you for that. Um, and I do also want to say, by the way, just for anyone listening who hasn't read Embarrassment of Witches, it is absolutely gorgeous work. Like there are the first off, the colors throughout the book are unbelievable like i these these palettes make me really jealous and and the way that they're utilized um but also like 
some of these pages, I don't know how you pulled them off. Like, I just there's there's <laughs> some really inventive and amazing stuff, and there's like some kind of Escher esque elements and like really cool sort of cosmic stuff. Like, it's 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 a really really amazing book. And so, anyone who missed it at the beginning of the pandemic when the world was falling apart, make sure you go and uh, pick it up from Top Shelf. Yes, please, please buy my book. <laughs> <laughs> it's really, really good. Uh, and then, and then another question to con- contrast that, you know, in looking back at some of your work, and I don't know how often you revisit your work, but what is a, a moment in, in your in your creative life that you feel like is was just a huge win for you that you look back on and are, are kind of inspired by? You know, I think that for uh, I really enjoyed drawing House of Women maybe more than I enjoyed mm. drawing any of the books that I've drawn. Um, wow. Cause I always thought of myself as more of like, you know, like comics can kind of be broken down into two parts, you know, there's art and there's writing. And I think cartoonists right. tend to be stronger in one than in the other, or at least think of themselves that way. Like, you know, my, I, I like really good at drawing, but I do struggle with the writing or, you know, like, mm-hmm. man, my stories are great, but like, boy, am I not a great artist? Um, and I right. always fell into the latter camp. Like I felt pretty confident about my storytelling, but I would never say mm-hmm. that I'm like the greatest draftsman. I can't draw anything. I like hate drawing cars. Um, and, uh, so there's like definite things that, um, that I don't, that I'm not, great with but like with house of women i i wanted to create something that was like beautiful and Mm -hmm. and i actually do feel really feel proud of like you know doing that book and like trying to take the art nouveau and bring art nouveau elements and iconography into a comic book format i just like Mm -hmm. learned so much like the way that i had been drawing comics before did not work with that art style and i had to learn a whole new way of like page layouts. Like I was doing a grid before and I had to like get out of the Mm. grid because that just doesn't work with Art Nouveau. Art Nouveau is like very vertical um, because it's all inspired by like Japanese prints, which have a lot of like vertical elements. Um, Yeah. It's a very vertical sort of like just language in general. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, and I was working in black and white, like just pure black and white, which is not something I really done before. And so it was a it was a project where I was like really stretching myself as an artist, but I think that mm-hmm. um, I I think that I feel really proud of that book and of how it looks and like yeah. um, and I was like I can I can I can draw a pretty book. hey i mean look that's always a great thing to prove to yourself i feel like you know obviously every artist is their own worst critic uh or harshest critic and and any every once in a while that you can like shut that critic up a little bit and be like haha like i i got you is a huge win um and for you know for the listeners house of women is available through fantagraphics so uh so go and go and pick it up and and appreciate uh, everything that, that sophie's talking about here um and before before we wrap up uh, on on the interview, um, let the listeners know sort of like where they can find you and where they can find your work and, and all that stuff. Like, give them the the plugs and the things to seek seek out. Yes, well, um, I am on Patreon. Um, so um, mostly recently, what I've been doing is a uh, posting short stories, like science fiction short stories that I have been writing. Um, which mm-hmm. is, I guess, unusual for cartoonists, but uh, my 
My loyal patrons are awesome supporters and they have been enjoying it. So, um, so I would, yeah. So I would suggest checking out my Patreon. I'm just Sophie Goldstein on there. So easy to find. Um, I also Mm -hmm. have a website, reninkradio.com, which has a pretty comprehensive like collection of my short comics on there under like the comics tab. So if, if you like want to just get a sample of my work and you never read anything, there's like complete short stories on there. Um, Can confirm. I I definitely read through uh, most of those in the research for this. (laughs) Well, then you've read most of my short stories because that, yeah, they're all pretty much all (laughs) on there. Um, And let's see. And then I'm also like on Twitter at rain Inc radio where mostly I just retweet other people. So if you enjoy that, <laughs> you know where to get more of it. Hey, boosting voices. It's always a, <laughs> a, a good thing in, in this climate. <laughs> yeah. But so my, yeah, the Patreon is really the main place. It's where I post the most. Um, it's where there's the most of my new work. Um, you know, at some levels you can get PDFs of like all of my books um, or signed copies of my new books as they come out. So uh, there's a lot of good stuff on there. Hell yeah. Um, well, Sophie, the last question that we ask everyone who comes on the show is why do you love comics? Why do I love comics? Uh, gosh, how do I even like, I mean, comics are just like, they're so much more complex than people give them credit for. When you look at a comics page, there's just so many ways to read it. I mean, not only is it, not only are there words and images, but there's like the language of a page. You have the whole the spread and how like the full visual image of the spread communicates. Um, and then you can break that down into like individual parts of the page and you can just get so like wild and creative with it in a way that is so mm-hmm. is not really possible for a lot of other art forms. Um, you know, like right. when you, when you're talking about a movie, like you have a set screen format and then people are moving through at the pace of the movie. And with comics, there's much more, there's, it's just much more interactive with the reader where the reader has much more control about how they ingest that information um, where you can have multiple right. storylines going on in a single page. Like people can get really crazy with it. Um, right. And it's very exciting. So I, I just think that comics is like, such a it's just such a unique medium and there's so much there and at whatever stage you are as a cartoonist as a reader of comics like there's always there's just more in the weeds like more you can learn more (laughs) crazy stuff you can find being made by new people who have like maybe they have four followers on instagram right now but like next month they're going to be blowing up and they're making something crazy um It's great. It's an exciting time to get into comics. Sophie, thank you so much for joining the show. This has been really great. Thank you. And thank you once more to Sophie for joining the show. You can follow her at Red Ink Radio. Uh, thank you again to Sean Rosner for the music in the show. You can follow Sean on Instagram at Sean the Rosner. Thanks to Garm for supporting the show. Check out uh, GarmCompany.com slash TMBC to get 20% off anything you order from them. And thank you all for listening. 
It is uh, so amazing every single time I put out an episode, just seeing the feedback that comes, seeing people discovering someone's work or learning new things about the process from them. Um, I, I am always so happy to just see that people are out there and listening. Um, it's it helps fuel me to keep this thing going and, and to, you know, keep finding new and amazing guests and, and researching and, and doing better every episode. I, I try to improve my own process uh with every episode um and so i hope that uh, you're all enjoying it and and again just a, a true and sincere uh thank you for listening um if you want to follow the show if you're really enjoying it then check out uh at tmbc workshop uh on twitter and instagram or you can follow me at jason halftones um if you do like the show please 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 leave a rating and a review on whichever podcast app you use uh, five stars are of course appreciated but i never want to sway your vote i don't want to try and tell you how to vote but man those five stars do help uh and just you know sort of showing people that uh that you're out there that you're loving the show and that helps uh other you know cartoonists and writers and artists and colorists and letterers uh editors whoever find this show and uh and and hopefully learn uh, as much as i know i I learn and hopefully you learn as well um but honestly without further ado uh, seriously once more time once more time fuck off uh one more time thanks for listening now go make some comments Might be cool.com. You never know. <laughs>